0: Over the summer, we have been preaching about the parables contained in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, And on this Sunday, we are turning to the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 1 through 13. I invite you to hear these words of the parable that Jesus references here. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Hurry up and wait. Have you ever heard this expression, hurry up and wait? You know, uh, you know what we're talking about. You you get together real fast in the morning and you throw everything into the car only to sit and wait in 280 traffic. Uh, Or my favorite is you, you rush to the airport to make sure you're able to get through the ticket counter and then through TSA. And then you have about two and a half hours, right, to wait for the plane to take off. We, we, we tend to get pretty frustrated, don't we, when we have to wait. We don't like to wait. wait. Waiting causes anxiety. It causes fear, especially when we're not real sure of what the outcomes might be, right? We, we wait and we get exhausted. And for those of us who like to control things, then waiting is really, really difficult. However, being a part of God's kingdom means that sometimes we have to hurry up and wait. You know, as we've gone through these parables over the summer, we've seen illustrations and ways in which God wants us to live and, and be in the world Uh, It gives us just a tiny glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven should look like. And in today's parable, I don't know about you, but I really felt the struggle of hurrying up and waiting. Here we once again have another story of a wedding. Now, weddings in the time of Jesus were were pretty big deals, right? Right? Uh, I mean, Jesus's first miracle was done at a wedding. Uh, last week, we talked about how uh, a king invited the people to his son's wedding banquet, and they refused. Marriages were instrumental to the life in the ancient World. Marriage is what builds your family, what helps give you more resources, and it helps you to accumulate wealth so that you can keep the family sustained. Jesus using a parable about a wedding is not arbitrary. People would have gotten the significance— For us to really begin to understand what's happening in this parable, we need to turn back to chapter 24 and see what's going on. The disciples in chapter 24 are beginning to ask Jesus what it's going to be like when the end times come. And Jesus begins to teach them what the end times will be like. And he he tells them things like there will be a lot of false messiahs, that there will be war, that there will be persecution of the disciples. Some of the disciples will uh, fall away while those who wait and persevere will be able to go in to the kingdom. And then Jesus kind of turns and says, but But don't fix your mind on the end times. That's not the point. Jesus even says that only God knows the day and the hour. And then he begins to teach a few parables that kind of push us into this mindset of urgency we need to hurry up. We need to get ready. And then also a time of waiting. When's the end game going to happen? And here's this beautiful parable of these 10 bridesmaids waiting for the groom to come. And when we read this as an allegory the 10 bridesmaids represent the church, right? There are wise and foolish people in the church. There are good and bad people in the church. There, there's people who are going to be ready, and then there's people who are not going to be ready. But as Mike kind of cautioned us last week when talking about the man who was not wearing the proper clothes, if we're not careful, we tend to think that this is a works-based way of looking at God rather than a faith-based way of looking at God. Five of the bridesmaids were prepared and five were not. The prepared bridesmaids didn't share their oil with the unprepared ones or the foolish ones. The, the, the prepared bridesmaids looked out for themselves. They kept what was theirs, and they said, nope, you guys need to go and find your own oil. These are confusing things for us because we're not expecting Jesus to say things like this, are we? We, we expect Jesus to say things like, don't judge the splinter in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own. Or we expect him to say things like knock, and the door will be open to you. Or about forgiving 70, not seven times, but 77 times. It doesn't fit with the story of Jesus blessing the loaves and miraculously feeding 5,000 people to the point where they had leftovers. It doesn't fit with Jesus telling a story about how God is like, shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. It doesn't fit with some of the parables that we have already studied, like the one a few weeks ago, remember the landowner, who paid everyone the same wage no matter how long they worked. So why is Jesus telling a story that doesn't seem to match up with the rest of his teachings. Well, I think the people hearing this would have had chapter 24 fresh on their minds. And the people hearing it would have heard it as somewhat of a comedy. Think about it for a minute. The bridesmaids would have been young girls, um, probably tweens, you know, that group that's kind of at the end of children's ministry and kind of too cool for that. And then they're about to go into youth ministry and probably a little nervous about that. You know, these are young, older elementary school girls who are super excited about being a part of a wedding party. The fact that five of them showed up prepared is a remarkable part of this story. And then, you know, they've had too much candy and sugar and they've had a really good time and it's getting close to midnight and they begin to get drowsy and fall asleep and the bridegroom begins to show up. And so they wake up in a fury and then they go out into the streets, the ones who had no oil. That would have been pretty funny for them because the people hearing the story would have known that that's a fool's errand. There is no way that five young girls are going to go out into the streets in the middle of the night and be able to purchase oil for their lamps. And as the the young girls approach the wedding banquet and knock on the door, the crowd would have expected something like the host opening the door and saying, hey, you girls learned a really good lesson. You've got to be prepared. Come on in and enjoy the party. That's not what happens. They knock on the door and it's answered. And the host says, I don't know who you are. That jolts us back into reality from hearing a fun story about a wedding party to none of us are truly prepared for Jesus to come back. And we need to be prepared. But most of us are not. It brings into focus that we have some urgency that we need to hurry up (laughs) and wait. Uh, My stepfather uh, received a heart transplant, which gave him seven more years uh, with his family. Talk about hurry up and waiting. (laughs) We did a lot of that while waiting for a heart for Bob, my my stepdad. And and I'll never forget going down to New Orleans to be with my uh, mom and my siblings, my stepbrothers and sisters. And The first time she came into the waiting room from seeing him, she was astounded. She said, his fingernails aren't blue. They're the right color. Just moments after surgery. uh, Bob received a heart from a 17-year-old young man who was killed in a motorcycle accident. And this often bothered him. In fact, in the hospital... He asked about the donor, and I was talking to my mom about this this week, and my mom just kind of remarked. It was a 17-year-old kid who, in Texas who died, and he began to cry. And he kind of masked that pain over, over the years. You know, we, we would have a cookout, and he'd be eating his favorite pull of sausage, and, and uh, we'd kind of look at him sideways like, you shouldn't be eating that. And he would say, what? I have a heart of a teenager. (laughs) But you could tell behind there the sorrow for that family. And even though he had this new heart, Bob was still Bob. He was the same guy. He didn't start doing things that a kid from Texas would start doing. And our spiritual life is a lot like that. That that we, we have this change in our heart. But transformation doesn't happen overnight. We have to put in the work in order to live a holy life and be ready for Jesus. Jesus desires for us to live into a new creation. And we take on that responsibility. In this parable, I think Jesus is urging the people, the disciples... To be ready to live a holy life, to be ready to live a life that is different, a life that is set apart. I want to explore just for a minute what it can take for us to live a holy life. The first thing is we have to renew our minds. You know, these parables, they often show us that Jesus wants us to think about life a little bit differently. And in the very beginning of Matthew, Matthew calls people to repent, right? Repent meaning to change your mind, to change your heart. And when we change our hearts, then we can start taking the steps to live closer to the person that God knows that we can be. And there are a couple things that keep us from doing that, right? Well, there's lots. I'm only going to talk about a couple. One of them is our comfort zones. You know, uh, we all have them and we call them comfort zones because they're comfortable and we like them. But our our comfort zones are really prevalent in the church, aren't they? Uh, uh, In fact, many of us sit in the same place each and every Sunday, right? You know who you are. Uh, We do. (laughs) Um, And we want the same order of worship. We want it to be familiar. If you don't think that we want the same order of worship, just talk to Nancy afterwards when we take out Go Forth for God. (laughs) Uh, It's a deal. Another thing that keeps us from renewing our mind is our pride. Our pride gets in the way—you know, pride is one of the seven deadly sins—and our pride gets in the way of living a life that's full of grace. When we're prideful, we become convinced that we're right rather than being humble and listening to other people. When we live with pride, we miss the kingdom of heaven— the next thing we need to do is we need to stay alert and keep watch. You know, these, uh, these bridesmaids, they, uh, in verse 5, it says the bridegroom was delayed and all of them became drowsy and fell asleep. I don't think they fell asleep. Uh, I don't think the parable so much was a focus on them falling asleep, but the fact that they weren't alert, they didn't keep watch, they weren't looking out. A lot of times we let our culture dictate how we live our life, which keeps us from looking out for where God's already at work in the world. Uh, Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha in the Gospel of Luke? Uh, Martha is doing all the chores and getting things done, and Mary's sitting there at the feet of Jesus. Then uh, Martha kind of gets mad, and she goes up to Jesus and says, Look, don't don't you care that I'm doing everything, and she's just sitting here? And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. You know, I saw a blog post this week, and the title was, Jesus never asked you to be busy. (laughs) I love that. And I really resonate with that. And I think that's what he was getting at with Martha. Jesus doesn't ask us to be busy. He asks us to be ready. It means we need to stay awake and alert and then keep our eyes on God. Uh, On Thursday, we were sitting in the office and I was talking with Michael Bowman, who's preaching the same text down in modern And he brought up something about this passage that I hadn't considered. Uh, The the verse that he was talking about is 6 and 7. It says, but at midnight, there was a shout, look, here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all of the bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. Michael was talking about how they, they were told to go out and meet the bridegroom, but instead they went off and did a task and went to trim their lamps. Maybe they didn't have to go out and buy oil at all. Maybe all they had to do was go to the bridegroom, go towards Jesus. By taking their eyes off the main thing, they missed being a part of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, John Wesley, who uh, founded the Methodist movement, uh, gave us... Uh, what we now call as our, um, our general rules of the church do no harm, do good, and attend to the ordinances of God. Uh, Bishop Reuben Job changed that, the title of that third one, and, and it's so much better. Reuben Job says that third one should say, stay in love with God. And that's how we move toward being ready. It's about doing the things to help us stay in love with God. You heard the kids say lots of those pray, attend worship, read scripture. Wesley would have said practice the sacraments, fasting, Christian fellowship. And when Wesley talked about Christian fellowship, he was talking about small groups and accountability. Being a part of God's kingdom means that sometimes we have to hurry up and wait. We hate waiting, don't we? However, the kingdom of God is found in the waiting. It is in the in-between spaces. It's in the now and not yet when the kingdom things happen. in the spring, our sermon series on becoming resilient, we looked at Hebrew words that can help us learn to live today for God, kind of like the ancient Israelites did. And in one week, we talked about hope. And if you remember, hope and waiting are connected. Isaiah 25.9 says, they will say on that day, look, this is our God for whom we have waited And he has saved us. This is the Lord from whom we have waited. It could also say from whom we have hoped for. Let's be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The true mark of a holy life are people who put their hope in Jesus Christ. not in the other stuff in the world, who change their minds and put their hope in Christ. Not a hope like we think of. I hope the Saints will win the Super Bowl, but they're probably not. But a certain hope. A hope that we know that God is going to do what God says He's going to do. And the worst thing isn't the last thing. So what are we sitting around for? We need to hurry up and wait. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us and caring for us. We pray that when we see you coming, we will recognize you and move towards you. May our light shine so that all, Can experience your love. In Jesus' name, amen.